Hi everybody, we're on season eight, episode seven, and today I have Matt Ram back with me. Hi Matt. Good morning. How are you, Keepy? I am very good, thank you. I've, we've just had half term. I know this episode will be going out in uh, December, but we've just had half term where we are, so I've had a lovely week with the kids and probably more shattered than before we actually started the uh, half term, but it's been just really, really nice to just do a lot of family stuff together. How are you? How's everyone on your side? Yeah, it's not too, not too bad at all. It's uh, it'll come no surprise to anybody listening and to yourself in particular that um, well, I'm off on a holiday on Friday. Yep. So, um, the hun- so we all get to be jealous while it's flooding here and you're in some, assuming some gorgeously sunshiny place. Well, yeah, it's 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 the last one of, of 2023, which is um, a, a bit of a shame, really. Last holiday of 2023. Um, well, yeah, I think so. It, it, it should be warmer and drier than it is in the northwest of England. Let me put it, let me put it that way. And um, can't temperatures around 25, 26, which is a bit of a giveaway of where I go, where we're going, Canary Islands. Um, but yeah, it should be fun. It's it's nice to get away at this time of year. Yeah. Um, Christmas coming up as well. It's 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 nice, but then of course you've got the January and February to get through. But hey ho, life life moves on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope you have a lovely holiday. Thank you very much. And um, and yeah, I, I will be cursing you when it's really really rainy <laughs> here and uh, <laughs> windy North and horrible and dreary. Either way. Oh, absolutely. Well, today, everybody, we are talking about total permanent disability cover, which is a claimable condition with most UK critical illness policies. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So, Matt, can you start us off, please, by explaining to us what total permanent disability is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, as you know, the industry loves to use um, abbreviations and so on and so forth. So you, you're going to have total and permanent disability, TPD, and uh, it's also known very commonly as permanent total disability, PTD. But they are effectively one and the same. Um, basically, as a lot of our listeners hopefully will know, it's, it's a benefit that pays out a lump sum if you have an illness or injury, that means you're permanently incapacitated from your work or daily life for the rest of your life. So I've, I've said permanently. I've also re-emphasized it with the rest of your life, because that's an important feature and an important consideration of somebody, I believe, selling the product um, or the rider. Maybe I should say rider rather than absolute product. Um and particularly explaining the pros and cons to somebody who you feel that this would benefit. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's an interesting point, but I think one of the the, the challenges that we have is that um, the success of the claim is is much more determined on the resulting impact of the condition as opposed to the condition itself, and that's that's that is. A subtle difference, but a very important one. Critical illness, where we see this policy, this, this rider, hence why I say rider really, um, sold alongside, pays out often on, well, it, it's 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 raison d'etre really, is the paying out on the, satis- the satisfying one of the policy conditions, sorry, one of the events, medical conditions that is actually outlined in the policy. Okay, so the you have heart attack, 
of necessary severity stroke multiple sclerosis there's there's many 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 of them as everybody knows now but this one is really on is paid out on the impact of a particular medical condition not the definite not the actual medical condition itself and i think that's that's important just to to um just to think about there as i said tpd is um an integral part of critical illness um if i can just go back to my days when critical illness was believe it or not first in, in well first it brought into this country of course everybody knows it was actually developed in south africa but brought into this country tpd i from memory was around certainly in those days but you could almost see it um as an important benefit then because you only had four or five main uh, conditions covered by critical illness policy and of course i think the question would have been in, in those days well okay somebody has a heart attack they, they we, we should be paying in most circumstances stroke multiple sclerosis so on and so forth but what about if somebody suffers from something else that's not but and, and it's it's you know a very nasty disease um, but isn't actually uh, covered by those four, those those five or six uh, medical conditions. So really, TPD was brought in, um, I believe, on the basis of making the uh, uh, the cover more holistic, more wide ranging. But within trying to do that, of course, it became rather vague. And I would then say, in today's modern criminalist products, that the mainstream ones anyway, um, covering 40, 50 critical illness, different critical illnesses, where TPD actually lies within that these that kind of development these days. However, I'm going to have to leave that one to the to, to likes of you, Catherine, really, and and and, and the, the the people who produce the products, whether it really has a mm. a place these days. However, I think one of the um challenges um that uh TPD has is if I just go back to uh, what I said at the very, very beginning, uh, if you have illness or injury, that means you're permanently incapacitated. And I added in for the rest of your life. So what does permanent actually mean? And how do particularly claims assessors, when they're presented with a scenario, a particular scenario, how can they judge that permanency? And therein lies one of the biggest conundrums I think um, that, that is out in our industry at the moment in terms of the claims in terms of claims handling um, but permanently literally means that the permanence of whatever's happened following a, uh, the, the medical event that it has to, that it will remain with a person throughout his or her lifetime yes and that, that's that's pretty important to say the least i think a probably good example there if, if i'll just jump in obviously from my yeah, course, experience as, as an example and, and not due to it's like saying that you know my, my dad didn't have critical illness cover unfortunately my dad um he'd had his critical he was in the police so he had critical illness cover through the police but then when he'd retired and things like that he was about i think he was something like six months off his diagnosis and oh. he would have had his uh his, he would have had his payout but um, so Parkinson's, um, so if anybody isn't familiar, my dad has that and he's quite poorly with it now. And, you know, so that would be something that on the total parent's ability, because it's usually based upon your ability to do your own occupation. 
Um, so, you know, that, that does bring in a lot of different things um, in terms of how they would be assessed in terms of being given the policy in the first place, how it'd be underwritten and the terms you'd be given for the cover. And then also at the claim stage, what that would mean. So say like with my dad, when he was a police officer and um, well, he was a police officer, then moved to the his same role, but in the civvies and the civil service. Um, and uh, so he became to a point where he couldn't continue working anymore. And that would be, you know, it's a progressive condition. Um, it's, it's not ever going to be recoverable from. Um, so that should, I'm going to say that should with little bunny ears around it with my, with my hands, um, be quite a straightforward claim on something which would be an own occupation definition um, when it comes to total permanent disability. But one thing I'll bring in from advisor's point of view is that obviously there's plenty of times that people come to me to review their cover. Um, obviously, sometimes they are my own clients. So I'm very familiar with their um, circumstances, but sometimes people just randomly will reach out to you. They've got things in place. They've been there for a while. And you you then um, figure out what needs to um what needs to happen and obviously when you're reviewing the cover and it's always worth really keeping an eye on the tpd things i've got a couple of um cases that i stand out in my mind with that um so as an example i had somebody that was supporting and they had critical illness cover already with tpd in it and their tpd said that it was suited occupation so i was looking through it and i was just like we're doing everything and i've gone through their circumstances and there was nothing that they told me health-wise, anything else that made me think, why would this be, or occupation-wise, why is this suited occupation? Um, so then we, we obviously had a chat. I was like, why is this, why was it done like this? And it ended up with a person had been in, in sort of like a bit of a higher risk job at one point. So they'd given, at the time when it was done, they'd had total permanent disability on suited occupation, which I will explain the difference between own and suited and any at some stage. And it meant that I said to them, right, I was like, well, really, now that you're not in that position, we really want to get you one that doesn't have that. We want to own occupation. But in this situation, this person um, was, um, they had had some um, depression since the original policy. So then we had a kind of, and it's a really hard thing from advice. We then had a decision, do you keep the original critical illness cover with a suited occupation, total permanent disability, or do you go for a new policy that will have a mental health exclusion on the total permanent disability? And that's not to say that mental health would be excluded from the entire critical illness contract. It's just that TPD. So most critical illness contracts are at least, you know, 50, 60 conditions. TPD is just one of them. You still cover for everything else. And the insurer just says on that one claimable condition, we're potentially going to put an exclusion on it um, due to a health condition. Sometimes they won't offer um, total permanent disability, depending upon the situation. And sometimes we'll have this thing called own occupation, suited occupation, or any occupation. So I, I try and use this as an example. So let's say own occupation, I'm an advisor. If I'm not able to be an advisor ever again due to my health, then it'll pay out or should pay out. Um, on suited occupation, they're going to look at what I do. So I'm often sat at a desk, I'm using a computer, I'm talking to people. Um, could I do that somewhere else? You know, that could be a case of, could I work as um, an administrator in a GP surgery? Could I go um, work on the tills at Tesco? You know, it's just similar kind of what kind of duties could I potentially do? Can I still interact with people? Can I still use things? Um, and then any occupation that literally could be, can I go be an astronaut? You know, it's it's really, you know, it's it's such a, and, and they get progressively <laughs> harder to claim on. 
as we, you know as we go along with them and I think that's sometimes you know when we're saying there about it maybe being broken is that it's it's that thing of it does get more and more tricky um I mean majority of UK contracts now would be really more own occupation I think that would be right Matt I don't we yeah. don't really tend to see that, but it's it's more the older ones we'd maybe be seeing that kind of terminology. And you you ideally yes. always yes. want the own occupation definition. I think you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and a lot of the difficulty in claims um, are from older policies, where where a lot of these um, with with the marketeers, um, I take my hat off to them generally, but with the marketeers trying to be helpful. Mm. Um, and therefore give greater access, um, putting more, you know, allowing more people to have TPDs actually made it an awful lot more complicated um, at claim stage. And let's be honest with you, um, you know, some of the, some with claims policy um, is, is, comes in, can I, you know, can I claim on my benefit 10 years, 15 years after the policy was sold? Yeah. Can, can, can the claimant, possible claimant, can the client honestly remember yeah, Some all the aspects of TPD yeah, and stuff of like that. And people also as well, we've had it a few times where people could claim on TPD yeah, and they just and haven't even realised. And then you're yeah. like, quickly, let's do this. Let's get it sorted kind of thing. Oh, that's, that's an absolute classic. I mean, we've uh, with a claims hat on, um, you see that on critical illness, fun, basic critical illness uh, mm. conditions. You know, um, yeah. it's, it's amazing. And of course, the absolute classic is waiver of premium. Yes. People do, you know, completely forget that they have a waiver of premium. Um, but it, yeah, it's I've heard of, seen many a critical illness claim where, oh, actually I've had a heart attack. Oh, I've forgotten I've forgotten about a critical illness policy. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and that, that kind of feeds into a lot of topical debate around um annual statements and uh, and and following up reviews you no know, annual reviews with your client absolutely or less. It, it feeds into many many aspects of our financial uh, financial services role if you absolutely. like absolutely we we've so, had it before with people with um cancers where it's yeah, not specifically been at the it doesn't obviously breast cancer you have the word cancer in the name um but with some of them they don't always have you know the cancer actually in the name of the diagnosis even though they will have been told at some point you know cancer but they sometimes get really focused on the name of what the diagnosis is and then you suddenly say to them well you do realize that that's you know we should be going for this you know and um but yeah with the tpd side of things as you say it's, it's really hard and i think i tend to like it because i always try and give people lots and lots of warning so i think i've said this before like with critical illness cover i'll say of a specified severity and i'll try and give an example and i do sort of like the same with tpd and basically i will say to people um uh well i'm going to come up to a question soon as to whether or not we would have it or not so i won't give everything away but i i liken it kind of like to the pip assessments i in, in some yeah. ways in my mind um, and yeah. so that's a per, um, personal independence payment that you get from the government in the uk if you are disabled and you can't um possi possibly can't work but you know you're really struggling um with your health and with due to some health condition and there's lots of things like you know it, it'll be things like can you and i'm not saying these are definitely what you'd be asked but it's things like can you walk this kind of distance unaided can you clothe yourself can you prepare yourself a meal so that, that there's it's that kind of a question set that can really come in. A little bit different though with the TPD side, because obviously when it's own occupation, obviously being able to feed yourself doesn't 
come into the question of can you still no. do your job, which no. I think in some ways makes it even more debatable and harder because with the amount of adaptations that you can have now through work, and uh, especially if you're on a computer type um, uh, role, uh, th- there is this phenomenal amount of change that a company can you know can potentially do not all of them want to obviously but you can potentially do to support someone to work as long as possible so you know I can understand how it can sometimes be quite gray but we have that don't we? we have the ones where it's like own occupation but then with some people especially if somebody isn't working maybe they're a student maybe they're a house person maybe they are unemployed um that they'll be given TPD um on what's known as a working tasks definition and that's the one I think uh, or activities of daily living definition. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's the one that's much more like the PIP, which would be the where you, how yeah. long can you, how far can you walk? Can you look after yourself? Things like that. No, no, I, t- I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, it's, it's interesting. You've, developed, you've, you've mentioned a lot of points there. Um, and I Sorry, think... I've gone off on a, I've gone off on a bit of a circle, haven't I? I've, no, no, I've, no, I've no, 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 no. You, you, you haven't <laughs> at all, but it, it, it's some, some of the points that you raise, I probably would like to add a little bit in. Now, I, I think, that some some people out there may think, well, you know, Matt's been talking about permanency and total, and you know, the, the blooming rider is called permanent and total. You know, are, is, is an insurer ever ever going to pay out on these? Now, the What's reality the is, yeah, the, the reality is that there is, particularly these days, in the last five years or so, insurers have have become far more reasonable realizing that the tpd is a difficult benefit to judge a claim so i would just say that some of the wordings these days that that i've picked up on um just to give some comfort to clients and advisors that a specialist okay i'm going to read this out a specialist must reasonably expect so underline reasonably expect the disability will last for life with no prospect of improvement, irrespective of where the cover ends or when the life assured expects to retire. So there is a big reasonableness, reasonableness, if I can spit mm. it out, issue here. And especially, you know, a specialist uh, or a claims assessor cannot simply turn around and say no. They ha- it has to be a reasonable explanation and a, and a detailed explanation of why a claim cannot be paid more importantly or more importantly and which i'll go into a little bit later on is why a claim cannot be paid now yes at this present time i was going to say you say that i was going to say you say that matt and it's a i know i was going to mention this a bit later but um but i'll oh, sorry bring it in now because i think it's quite pertinent to me now but there's i have been involved in obviously in a couple of um tpd claims and I have to say, I mean, you know that, I mean, I do love insurance. I think insurance is fantastic. I think our successful claim payouts, you know, high 90s across, you know, obviously most products is is brilliant in the protection insurance. But the TPD ones that I've been involved in, I have to say, there were nothing, nothing short of shocking behavior from the insurers um, to the point where, cause the reason I'm bringing it now, because you said about the specialist, where We'd had it where the insurers, the claims assessors were challenging the specialists, saying that they were getting it wrong and almost demanding that they um, do more surgery, even though the specialist said this will not more more treatment isn't going to make this person better. There's no point. It's just putting them unnecessarily through treatment that can be dangerous at times and things like that. And um, and the insurers, it was just 
it was it was that kind of thing where I say majority of claims people and, and I'm sure in the majority of situations claims people are absolutely fantastic but on the TPD side maybe we hit a couple of really really bad situations with it but it was that's the that they're the only times sorry really where I've thought this isn't okay you know this really isn't okay and you know I'm gonna have to really get some stern words in um, yeah people if I take literally what has just been said, I am amazed about um, a an insurer um, saying they're not going to pay out unless more more surgery yeah. surgery is done. I am amazed. Yeah, that's, that just that's what we happened. had when I had control over an insurance company. That just would not have happened. Not surgery. No. Yeah. Maybe have they had all the all the you know the, the types of treatment that is available. Yeah. I oh yeah, I completely understand that. But or, no, it or was adaptive workplaces or things like that, but not surgery. Yeah. I mean, it was repeating that's, previous that's treatments that's been that had been done. Yeah. And basically, well, why don't you just do it again and see if it, you know? And it was just a case of no. And also, it also became a little bit a case of you know stuff like and obviously claims assessors are brilliant, you know, I've seen everything. But at the same point, there was a little bit of case of like, but this is literally a consultant surgeon and medical professional who's done many many years of you know stuff, and it's a case of you're not a medical professional you're very good at doing claims you're very good at obviously following the rules that you need to set and everything but it it did become a little bit how how have we got to the point where a claims yeah, person think, has the you know in a sense has the authority to be able to say to somebody who is really top of their field um to go well you've not done enough and it, you know that was kind of like you know it, it really blurred sort yeah. of and I, I'm not meaning to I hope I really hope that doesn't mean I'm in, I don't want to come across if I'm insulting anybody in claims I think I say claims people fantastic incredibly good at their job this situation two situations I'm thinking of was absolutely horrendous um but you just thought there's got to be a point where you go you know what actually no there is a specialist here who has more training health-wise than a claims person and and they are saying a very specific I, to, thing. I think I'm going to jump in here Kath. I mean I cannot Catherine sorry I um I would be 99.9% sure that in the particular circumstances that you um, mentioned, then that the claims assessor would have been in consultation with their chief medical officer. Yeah, no, I can imagine so, that. So there, you know, yeah. the claims assessor—that's a fair point. Yeah, really is merely kind of acting on behalf of, if you like, the chief yeah. medical officer. I would also throw in, and by the way, I could be wrong, but I'd be incredibly surprised if they were getting around to that type of decision that they, they didn't have their own uh, consultant in the background. I would also say that in contrast to the one, the, the situation that you just mentioned, where um, a chief medical, sorry, a, a, a consultant medical professional um, was being questioned, yeah, I've also seen cases where claims assessors, no doubt with the backup of their chief medical officer, have mm. actually paid claims and yeah. disagreed with the with the the client's actual um, doctor. Which is is brilliant, and and I think you know it's, so it it's very quite, fair. What I'm trying to yeah. say is there's two ways. There's two ways of looking at this. I was going to say it's very fair what you're saying. Yeah, I can guarantee that it work, does work both ways. 
Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna see, you know, in a sense, and it's it's always gonna be the negative ones. It's like with anything in the media, <laughs> isn't it? You get like a negative one, and it's just it ends up being so. A lot of the time, it's so extreme and so negative that you're just like, this can't possibly be happening. And this is what they, we had in this situation. So, yeah. you know, and I know that it's not sort of like the the go to, you know, that would generally happen. I can't believe it's but- it's no, I mean, it was just, I'll tell you about it all in detail um, elsewhere from here, Matt, where we're no, not, no, no, so, no, not no, on recording, um, but, <laughs> but no, it was, no, no. it was, you know, and I'd hope people would trust me in a sense of saying, you know, it was, you would just, nobody would look at it sensibly. And, and, you know, when you said about the CMO being involved as well, and, you know, and you're right, I'm sure the CMO was involved, but even then it was the case. So I appreciate the CMO involved, but yeah, not I a specialist on that individual, not the one who's performed the previous surgery, not seeing what's going on inside. And, you know, you know, if you've, you know, so I I think, you know, again, there is that little bit of, but that's what we're saying, isn't it? This is the whole point of this debate on TPD is that we're saying, you know, it's, it's a bit everywhere. No, absolutely. I mean, I've also been involved in claims over the years where I can't necessarily say it's TPD. I'll have to be honest with you, but in situations uh, these would be living benefits. They wouldn't be death claims, but in living benefits, probably with critical illness, I would have to say, um, the insurer, mm. on very odd occasion, has actually got their chief medical officer to talk to the claimant's uh, 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 medical professional. Yeah. Particularly if they are both consultants, they will they can go they can go off record and discuss it between themselves. Yes, and agree, and agree. because yeah. as you quite rightly say that if you're if a, a chief medical officer stands is is by definition they are stood away from the absolute circumstance of a given case. Yeah, uh, but they, you, generally nine times out of ten claims assessors can kind of bridge that gap. But when it can't, the two consultants get together and put their views together and hopefully come out with a. Uh, an agreement to the way forward so that can happen as well yeah and i think there's also gray committees isn't there in the insurers as well like well, if there's yeah. you know where if there is a little bit of a mm, are we doing this we're we not doing this no. but i think we've gone completely out of sync in terms of oh, what yeah, we were going to do which is really good <laughs> it's important to talk about the you know what goes on behind the scenes and what necessarily going to be obvious to um to, yeah. to many advisors out there that these things do go on um, in a positive way, as well as in, in, in this horrendous case that you just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it would honestly, it would be a, it, it would be an incredible case study. But uh, you know, as with anything like this, you know, it's, it's always really awkward <clears throat> asking for case studies and stuff like that. I don't really <clears throat> enjoy doing that. But uh, I say I'll tell you about it in a time. But if we go back on track for a second, so with TPD, we were saying you will sometimes get exclusions on it. Sometimes it's not offered at all. As an underwriter, what kind of things would be in someone's circumstances that would make you think right? I am going to, you know, possibly put an exclusion on the TPD. Everybody listening, it is just on the TPD aspect, um, uh, or potentially not offer the TPD. Okay, I would probably draw a parallel to a degree, um, but noting noticing the the permanent uh, part of the definition for TPD, I kind of draw it back to um, income protection in a way. Yeah. Um, except one obviously income protection. Uh, you do not have to be permanently disabled to drop to to claim on income protection. That's the whole point of income protection. Yeah. Um, and there's a permanence here. So there are many crossovers, I would say, um, to to income protection underwriting. What I would say is that rather 
like and maybe controversially, income protection underwriting is um, not particularly sophisticated. Um, TPD underwriting is less than is less sophisticated than that. Yeah. So, in other words, you will not get an underwriter, or I would have to say, um, and I might get shot down by people that maybe likes to underwrite me for saying this. Um, I do appreciate the insurers have an awful lot to they they actually mm. set their own rules, but um, not a lot of time is 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 taken in the thinking behind a decision on an automatic underwriting system. Yeah. So in other words, you could have some what would be quite um, you know, minor, inverted commas, minor musculoskeletal conditions um, or mental health conditions, ones that particularly aren't covered by IP, uh, sorry, that are covered by IP, but not by critical illness, um, get, getting excluded or, well, I would suggest probably excluded rather than rated because ratings on TPD um, yeah, are not sophisticated by yeah. any stretch of imagination. Um, so I don't know if that actually helps your question because I, my, I, you see people with, um, uh, minor, you know, minor shoulder injury uh, a couple of years ago, and they'll be, they'll, uh, that'll be excluded from TPD. Yeah. Well, mental health is a really common one, isn't it? To, yeah. to have an exclusion yeah. on fire. So it, all I would say is there that really it's probably the nature of what is out in the marketplace in terms of the underwriting yeah. and TPD. I think partly, to be fair, we, we do live in a commercial world and for the, for the premium that is paid for TPD, just TPD on its own, then are insurers really going to put a lot of money into developing sophisticated systems to actually take that on board or yeah. not? Now, it's that, tricky because TPD is also controversial, but yeah. it's the way of the world and has been for many, many, uh, many, many, many years. Sorry, Catherine. Absolutely. No, no, of course. And I, I think, you know, for me, when I'm looking at TPD in terms of exclusions and things like that, what I, I tend to think as an advisor is that if I'm going to have if if it's TP if I look at TPD waiver of premium and income protection, if I'm going to have an exclusion on one, I'm probably going to have exclusion on all of them. Yeah, um, that's that's my general um, viewpoint on it. Um, but definitely, mental health is quite a, a common one to have on that, as you say, sort of like certain injuries in certain areas. Um, there can also be, and I've, I don't know if this is still common, but I remember again a few years ago I was reviewing somebody's cover, and I noticed that there was an an occupational exclusion. On the um, on their original critical illness um, TPD because they I believe they were an oyster fisherman <laughs> I want to say and they did scuba diving um, and so I was just like well, did you know that that was there and it was hidden in about in the policy document it was a really massive policy document and like all integrated together and I think it was like on page fifteen or something and it was just like really hidden and they were like we had no idea that was there so I just moved them to a different insurer that didn't do it so you know again for advisors do keep an eye on that as well you know don't just take it for granted oh they've got tpd right they've got the best thing there or you know double check those definitions what are they looking like has there been anything extra done on them but um i'm at the point now that i uh i think is a good one to sort of put you on the spot a little bit matt and i'll give my thoughts too um but if you were applying for critical illness today matt and you had the option to add TPD on or not, because some insurers include it as standard. Some of them it is a paid for extra. Yeah. Would you include it? Okay, I'm going to step around the question just a little, and just give a little bit of background that um, 
at, a, at an underwriting seminar run by Swiss Re, um, good 10 years ago now. Um, I was luckily enough to be invited to the um, the panel. Yeah. And one of the um, the expert panel, if you like, and one of the questions was um, arose about TPD. And one of the things here, notice is 10 years ago. Um, and I piped up and said, TPD is a broken product. It was it's it was misconceived to start with. It's poorly understood by everybody, and it causes um, an inordinate amount of uh, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, more concerned, and I left it at that. There were a few cheers from the audience. I have to say, just to, <laughs> so they, I wasn't alone. My dear yeah. friend Jerry Brown was in the audience, and. Um, he didn't say anything, actually. I was going to say, I can imagine him playing devil's advocate to you and sort of well, like going the opposite way. God bless. But um, I can't, well, I'd be surprised if he does, but or did. But <laughs> he, he, he didn't say anything that day. God bless him. Anyway, um, I'm now going to answer your question. Um, if, <sighs> in principle, I would not buy TPD. No. Okay. If the cost, then I'm going to have to caveat it slightly. If the cost was two pounds a month, yes, I really have no idea how much TPD costs these days. Sorry, I'm I'm out of that part of the world. It ranges uh, a lot. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Um, then I might say, sod's law. It's yeah. going to happen to me. Therefore, for two pound a month, I'll buy it. Yes. But in in, in principle. And what I think about the product itself, then no, I, I, I wouldn't buy it. I have to yeah. stick by my principles of 10 years ago. And to be honest with you, nothing nothing ultimately has changed. I think, to be fair, I say nothing has changed, as, as you do before these um, podcasts, just do a little bit of digging around. And some of the, the – there has definitely been – an improvement in terms of the clarity of what insurers will and will uh, won't pay out for. My concern is that do advisors um, really explain about TPD and the potential yes. difficulties? I know that you and I've had you and I have had that discussion, and I think it's very much worthwhile you you putting that into this podcast. Um, and also, as I've said before, many claims, you know, it's, it's, it's quite unusual to have a, a no-knock TPD claim yeah. um, through illness anyway, um, early on in the policy. And who really is going to remember five years, 10 years, 15 years later, quite the ins and outs of the TPD? Yeah. Um, I suppose so, a really important thing is with that as well, like you're saying, you know, if it's, it's unlikely to be in the first 10, 15 years, I mean, the times that somebody young I mean obviously people who are young are going to have a you know can have significant health conditions but I I sometimes wonder with TPD in a sense is that if you are you know is it more sort of a case of the only time it's a certain really is if you know don't use this term lightly is if you were to become quadriplegic if you were in a horrific car accident or yeah. fall that's, or that's like why that. I say illness by the way yeah, yeah. You know, it's, you know, that's probably more because by the time you're getting old enough, so like my dad with the Parkinson's, like we were saying, you know, he could potentially claim on TPD, but he wouldn't. He'd have claimed on Parkinson's as part of the critical illness contract. Yeah, so by the time you're getting there, the other things that are potentially going to stop you working are probably covered anyway by the critical illness contract. So mm. kind of like with TPD, it, it does kind of feel lost. I mean, so as an, as an advisor, if it is a paid for extra, 
just like you should do with wafer premium um, is you need to let the person know really what that price difference is. This is what it costs to have this. This is what it costs to not have this. Um, you know, wafer of premium, we can have it from literally a couple of pence, you know, a month, which is nothing in a sense for, for, for a lot of people. It can go up to, you know, quite a few pounds per month. Total permanent disability, I've easily seen it being over 10, 15 pounds per month to have TPD. And that's when I start to really think, is this worth it? 15 pounds on something that in all likelihood, it is going to be one of the other things, you know, that the highest claim conditions are cancer, heart attack, stroke. Um, I think shortly followed by, um, sorry, closely followed by uh, multiple sclerosis, I believe, yeah. on critical illness stats. Yeah. Um, now, I, I don't know how the percentage of how many people need or can claim on um, the TPD side of it. So, so what I do as an advisor, I give people the choice. I inform, as with anything as an advisor, you inform them on what's available to them. You record it. Um, if they want to have the TPD, that's absolutely fine. Just make sure that when you're recording your um, documentation to them that you say this was included for an extra price. I did give you the option to include it or not include it. You felt it was worthwhile. Yeah. Um, if you don't include it, say I did Why? offer you the option of TPD, <laughs> but you decided um, against it. It would have cost this much if you did include it. So it's, you know, so it's very clear either which way is that you have been involved in that discussion. You have taken the time and that. um I think about that the proud it's a what I said it's incredibly important Catherine I'm sorry I didn't yeah. want to to um to distract you from what you were saying yeah I no I was just saying absolutely I mean I've also been involved in expert witness cases where where advisors have not done that yes oh, that. and it has led to a lot of problems so that's why I, I was talking about well to really uh, yeah really no no it's fine but, but I was going to say just be the reality proud this can come back and bite advisors on the bottom yeah be proud of your work. Be proud of what you've done, the amount of advice you're doing. You're doing all these extra bits. And the more you do and the more you engage, the more they'll remember you as well. So the more likely to come back and speak to you again in the future. But in terms of me personally, I'm the other side in the sense of, you know, if it was 10, 15 pound a month, I have to say, I would really question it. But like you, if we're going up to a five or maybe up to a 10 a month, I'll probably be having it because I'm very much a case of if I don't have it, as you were saying, sod's law, if I don't have it, it's the thing that I would need to claim on. And it's like, um, obviously, I know I did, um, we did a podcast recently, but the uh, the Child Shield um, from MetLife, where it's all about covering the children for broken bones and things like that. I've got it and covered all my children on it because it's. A, I was saying to myself, and I always think if I don't do this, then you they will have it. a broken bone. So at the moment... I'm not just insuring them in case of there's been a financial payout, but I'm just insuring them against like the ether and you know, kind of yeah, like yeah, the definitely. vibes from the universe. So hopefully they won't break any bones. Um, yeah. But that's the way that I look at it. But um, there's a lot to be said for that. I'm telling you. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> it's all about knowing your client, isn't it? There, and then giving them very clear choices. Um, and if, you know, if if the, if the client doesn't want it, for goodness' sake, put it in writing. The discussion yes. has been had. Sorry, Catherine. I'm, I'm, Definitely, you should do. Repeating and also, what you have said. No, so. no, no. You should do. And also, what I would say is for firms and that you should really, in terms of fact find. So, in case anybody's listening who isn't in our industry, but I imagine you probably are, with you listening to this specific one, because it's quite a specific technical um, episode. Um, you know, your fact find. So the fact find is the thing that we do, which um, records a lot of our discussion with the clients. It's, you know, it's like a, a personal diary in a sense, in some ways for the advisor, um, noting down everything we need to. There should be somewhere in there 
to prompt advisors yourself or any of your team to go waiver of premium. Why have you done it? Why haven't you done it? TPD. Why have you done it? Why haven't you done it? Just so that you have that um, really clear thing. And I also say as well, I'm a bit of a pain. I'm sure lots of people are very grateful they don't sit under my compliance because um, you know, if someone says TPD and like, why have you done it? Why haven't you done it? And the answer is client not interested. It's a case of, well, that's only well, half the message, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of like client not interested is that leaves it open to, well, did you even discuss it? You know, yeah. I mean, client not interested, but I gave them the price of this and I'm going to yeah. put it in my report. You know, it's, it, it just gives you that little extra backing. Cause like we've said plenty of times and, and it is worth remembering as well in terms of consumer duty, in terms of everything, um, in terms of data protection, lots of other things is that um, the right to complaint, um, to complain from a client is there's obviously a few different situations. But one of the most recent ones is they can complain within three years of when they became reasonably aware that they had a right to complain. So that's not three years from the date of what you've done. It's three years from when they became aware that they could potentially complain. So you could be 27 years down the line. You could be 15. You could be 35 years down the line. And if they say, well, I only realized in the last two years because I spoke to a different advisor and they've told me that you've done me wrong. They would they have that right to make that claim. So and that complaint. So whether or not it's valid or not, it's a different thing. But you know, the, the key thing is at that point, you're going to be handling a complaint. It might go to the force for the financial ombudsman service. You want to have your documentation there. And as with anything, if you've got a statement there that says, I offer TPD, it was this much, the client decided against it, and it was in my report to them, versus client wasn't interested. The first one is far, far stronger in being able to protect yourself um, going forward against the complaints. Yeah, um, I, I to to totally entirely agree. I've already mentioned that I've done expert witness cases that involved exactly the scenarios that you've warned people against, and also uh, there are a couple of other things here. Totally agree about the the uh, the time duration on complaints, because quite often the legal cases I get involved in is something like 10 to 15 years after policy yeah. was sold. Um, and also, um, I, I don't want to be a complete um, uh, you know, red flag waiver, but also professional indemnity. Just think what oh, the yeah. professional indemnity insurance will have if you have to settle out of court. Yep. Well, there is actually as well. So this came to my attention. And luckily, so at, at Cura, we keep all uh, data indefinitely. Um, yeah. And there has been, obviously, with new data protection laws, there's been this thing about seven years. Do you get rid of them and things like that? What people really need to be careful of, especially in our um, insurance space, is that some professional indemnity providers now have specific clauses where they will say, if you haven't kept your documents, we won't support you in event of a claim. It's interesting. So okay. it's really, really important, you know, whatever you're doing, just either you're going to have to make sure that you've got an insurer that's happy for your professional indemnity to insure if you don't have the documents, or you need to just make sure that you are very clear. And that should all be in terms of your um, your TOBA, so your terms of business agreement that you give to clients in the initial stages, in terms of that data and um, your privacy policy as well um, and data policy that should be um, given to all clients. Um, just explaining why you keep it, how long you keep it for. And, um, and you know, personally, I I think it's, it would be very, very difficult to not keep 
copies of everything because as we say in terms of a complaint now it can happen at any point so it's not even like we can say it has to be within the first three years of advice it can just be forever so you're going to really need to keep those documents for as long as possible but do what your compliance and data protection person tells you i don't want any compliance or data protection people telling me off so i'm going to say just do what they say that's my opinion and what we do um but uh there's there's very specific arguments for it but as we are coming towards the end of the podcast matt as we've been talking about TPD, we've been saying sort of like the good parts of it. The, I mean, I think we have focused quite a bit. I have to say we've focused on the bits where it's not working. And I think that's fair to say because for the majority of the time, it isn't working great. But we do have statistics, I believe. I think you've got a rough statistic yeah, in terms of success rates of claim. I don't want to um, uh, uh be sued by by Alan Lakey, uh, it has to be said. But um, I'm I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm, fine. I'm sure he will be as well. He's a lovely chap. Um, but I would like to pull something from a headline. I suppose it's in the public domain, really. Yeah. So uh, he he has mentioned some statistics that he mentioned. He uh, claimed, sorry, at the um, Cover Forum Summit. That yeah. I think that's what it was called. Uh, very recently, where he said. Um, in 2022, the average claims paid across the board was approximately 92%. Catherine, you've mentioned that already. However, yeah. when specifically considering total and permanent disability claims, the payout rate was only 70.3%. Yeah. Which I think... Which is, you know, 70% is better than lower, but that's still <laughs> right. incredibly low compared to us. I know it's obviously 92% across the board. I think generally life and critical illness tends to be more 95% and over generally. Yeah. It's usually yeah. 97, 98. I think I, income protection, we can sometimes get a bit lower because again, and, and you know, critical illness possibly is, is a bit lower than life just because again, people understanding when and how they can make claims and obviously then claims not actually going through um, and obviously potentially other reasons as well. But if I remember rightly as well, so I know you mentioned Jerry, um, Jerry Brown earlier. I was at an, a cover um, event and this was pre-pandemic so we're talking it was either very very beginning like February 2020 or it would be in 2019 when Jerry was there and he was um, talking about TPD claims and um, the uh, he was he was talking about a case study again where it wasn't working well um, and I'm sure around that time he also said about a 70% so I know it's not a long time frame but we've got about a three-year period there but there's been no improvement to that percentage. And, you know, I think, you know, all of us would say, you know, a 70% success rate isn't where we'd want to be as an industry. Um, you know, we would want to be doing much higher. So maybe maybe there just needs to be much better clarity over things at times. And um, whether or not that's the way that advisors explain TPD, I'm sure there is definitely more that advisors can do in, in terms of explaining TPD but then I think as well, we've got those ones where, you know, we've, you know, obviously I've mentioned and I've been involved in a couple where TPD haven't gone great. You've had some where they've gone brilliant. But I think there's also there's bound to be lots of other people who they don't engage with advisors. They've done it all themselves. They're going for the claim themselves. It's a very good and, yeah. and obviously for the people that we've supported, we are there as advisors to go to the insurer as, as nicely as possible. Stop it right now. And behave. <laughs> Let's get this sorted. We need to get this paid because they absolutely do have a right to claim. And you know, we got the the claims paid. Um, but other people don't necessarily have people in their corner to say, 
you know, I, either which way, either look, you've applied for this, but you know what, you, you're not going to actually be able to make a claim or you've applied for this, you've been told no, but you shouldn't have been. So it's 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 just the way the industry works, isn't it? We've, we're not going to make a quick fix out of it, but I do think that from advisors could explain more and I think insurers could do more to to make the TPD claim process better. I don't want to get told off by anyone, but... No, no, no. Well, you know, this is always was going to be a bit of a tricky podcast, wasn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, we knew it weren't going to be controversial. Might be blacklisted at the end of it. (laughs) Well, possibly. But I mean, at the end of the day, when you've got a claim statistic of 70%, then we have to tell it as it is. Um, Yeah. You know, there's no two ways about it. Can I just add one thing, Catherine? I know uh, probably going on a bit time-wise, but I just wanted to... um, you, You mentioned it earlier... Um, as we've discussed, TPD own occupation is now the most common definition used for for, uh, that benefit. Um, And I just wanted to be absolutely 100% sure, this is a positive positive point, I might add, that um, insurers won't be unreasonable in when they look at an own occupation claim. And what I mean by that is, is, for instance, if my job was selling yeah um, but as part of my um skill set i could do the filing yeah then a, an insurer will primarily look at your selling abilities and your ability yes. to do that not at your filing okay yeah. i st- just wanted to make that short because the, the actual wording that's used these days is un- unable to do their own occupation ever again and uh using the material and substantive duties that they perform and within their own occupation and that can't be reasonably left out or changed. So it is is substantive. You're not going to get a claim paid down by picking some obscure part of your job that you very, very rarely do or 5% or 10% of your time, maybe you do it. But it's the material and the substantive areas. So please don't think that insurers will try or claims people, insurers will try and get out of it a claim. Notice yeah. that word I used early doors around reasonableness. Yes, definitely. And, you know, my my view is knowing um a very good number of claims people, um, albeit not across the industry, but primarily from my own history. Um and I know you said the claims people do a good a good job, and they they mm. do. Look at our ninety percent pluses around here. Yeah. But these these claims are pretty damn difficult, and they can only work with the definitions and the policy wordings that they they have been left with. I can put it that way. Yeah. Uh, um, no, without any shadow of a doubt. One of the one of the other areas I just want to touch on very very briefly is, um, I, I know. Kevin, you know, Kevin Carr was um, in, yeah. was one of the big voices around getting claim statistics uh, out there in the market. And I think, you know, by, uh, generally, it's worked reasonably well, pretty well, yeah. if not, I think. Um, TPD is an interesting one. Um, note, note the, go back to the permanency side yes. of this and how difficult that is. Well, some of the more topical medical disorders of the day at the moment tend to be chronic fatigue yeah and fibromyalgia and i know you and i have kind of t- touched on these historically Catherine. Yeah. um but it is incredibly difficult at the moment with medical knowledge being where it is 
to actually define how permanent those disorders will be. Yes, yeah, I can appreciate that. And, and it's it's a tricky one. My mum has fibromyalgia. Um, so I, I do understand that one so, quite you know, well. Then, but it's, you know, it is, you know, it is a very, very tricky one because it's not like, a, I'm going to go back to Parkinson's. It's not like Parkinson's where you can go no. into the brain and you can see that all the dopamine levels dropping and all the different things. And again, with a stroke or anything like that, with the, the fibromyalgia, it's, it's obviously so much more upon the sensitivity to touch and pain. And um, so I, I do appreciate that that's a, that is a much more difficult one to, to assess. Yeah, absolutely. Not I think so, no, no. Um, but maybe it's the reason why, um, particularly with these these claim assessors seeing a lot of, well, I say a lot, a lot more than they used to. Let me put it that way. Um, you know, it may be one of the reasons why um, claims success isn't as good as some of the others. You know, there yeah. are, it is pretty damn difficult these days TPD was designed a long time ago. The fundamental principles a long, long time ago when we don't have the medical knowledge to, to, to say, well, actually, really, is it permanent? We're not going to write this person off when they're in their 30s or 40s. Is it yeah. really permanent? No, you know, the medical, medical thinking these days is no, it's not. Now, you put an ancient product... God, I was around when that was, well, not TPD necessarily, I was around when critical illness came in, goodness gracious. So how ancient am I? Um, you put an ancient product design against a modern medical, um, uh, modern medicine. My words aren't coming out very well today. And potentially that is part of the issue that we've got in yeah. the success rate of those claims. I can't say it's everything by any stretch of the imagination, but it is part of it. So I go back. Or maybe I was a soothsayer in my uh, in a previous <laughs> like ten years ago to say it was broken. Now it could in in that particular conference I said either you scrap it or you completely redesign it. Yeah. And my, I think we've I hopefully on the basis that you would buy the product and many people yes. do buy the product, then there is some use to it. I agree with that. Yeah. I think the whole of the, but this rider needs to be redesigned somehow. And I'm, I'm afraid I'm, at my age, <laughs> my creativity is no longer with me. But it, but I think it's uh, it, it certainly needs a very very good looking at. I'm not talking about the claims process. I'm talking yeah. about the product design. No, I think anyway, I shall get off. I shall get off my. Um, bench now no 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 i think it's i think it's a very very valid point and um and i think it's important to to do these where you know when we're, when we're seeing parts of policies that aren't working you know as we would want them to you know when we clearly as well have those claim statistics that we can you know we've both said you know there was three years roughly between those times that we've um been looking at and it's not changed you know that that isn't great you know it's something that we do want to see um, maybe it just needs to be a lot more clarity, but I do appreciate exactly what you're saying in terms of sometimes the conditions that are there are very hard to be able to assess. But I think as with anything, we're going to have extremes from all sides. I've obviously got some really extreme case studies that weren't great. And, um, but, you know, there's going to be other ones like you've had where they were absolutely brilliant. And, you know, that actually they said well actually we we think even more than what your consultant is in the nhs and we're gonna pay out for you so i think as with anything probably um because we'll say this about underwriting we said about lots of things yeah, much 100%. more of a 
much more of a middle ground, you know, so we, you know, so these outliers in a sense shouldn't really happen. It should all be as smooth as possible. And then maybe we'll be able to get those statistics better. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Well, I think that's the end of the episode. So thank you for listening, everybody. And thank you, as always, Matt, for joining me. Next time, I have Paul Bevan and Rachel Edwards joining me from Veris to discuss travel insurance underwriting. If you'd like a CPD certificate, please visit the website practical-protection.co.uk and we can get them thanks to our sponsors, the Octa members. Thank you so much for your time today, Matt. My pleasure. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you. Bye.